All right, and we're live. So welcome everyone to another episode of The Clap. Of course, it's me, Paolo, your host. And I would like to apologize to everyone who's been waiting uh, for this episode. No, uh, It was actually my fault on my end. Uh, there's a lot of technical difficulties that took way longer than expected in terms of, you know, fixing it up. So right now, we have a very special guest. She is a candidate for a senator for the upcoming May 2022 elections. So I'm going to introduce her a bit to you guys now so that you guys could get to know her a bit. So she is an advocate for PWD rights and is currently running for senator. And a fun fact about her is she's a former comic script writer for Atlas Publishing. So welcome to IGLA for the very first time, uh, senatorial candidate Carmen Zubiaga. Hi, Ms. Ubiaga. Good evening. Hello. Good evening. Great. So I'm so excited to have you here now because I really want to get to know you more and so that my you know, audience and my viewers and my Spotify listeners get to know you. But before we continue, um, aside from being a former comic script writer, what are other fun facts about Carmen Zubiaga that people may not necessarily know? <gasps> well, um, <laughs> you know, I've... I stopped schooling when I was 14 because uh, the school where the only high school in our town uh, was quite far and it's not accessible for me. And uh, it's on top of the hill and definitely it would be very hard I would, if uh, I would go there. So I was forced to stop and uh, stay home. And uh, I have learned a lot of uh, skills like sewing, crocheting, uh, all handicrafts. And uh, when, uh, you know, uh, during that time, uh, you know, crochet the uh, decorative items were uh, in demand for export market. And uh, one, uh, there was one uh, businesswoman who saw my design. And uh, she hired me as a subcontractor. And at age 16, I was the young, I was uh, already an interpreter, teaching uh, women how to do, how to do, how to crochet and uh, make the design that I made. And they earned money. So, and I was also glad I also earned a quite uh, good, uh, uh, had a good income. Uh, so that was uh, one of the fun facts about me, maybe. <laughs> I think that's a really cool fun fact, actually. Um, so could you like help us out to to understand? No? Like, so you're crocheting at a very young age. Then you said that there was a businesswoman, right, who really liked. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so what was the design? And I'm so curious about what design you made that you know impressed that. You know, uh, it's about uh, you know the the ladies uh, ladies uh, blouses. They have to put some crochet. Designs uh, on the neck or even on the sleeves <laughs> everywhere, and then we have to design some, uh, I call this, uh, like flowers, uh, crocheted flowers, or crocheted uh, any part as long as it's crocheted. And uh, we have to come up with different designs almost every week. And, uh, you know, all women, uh, all the women in, uh, in the neighborhood, and as far as uh, the next town, we're coming to me to get uh, 
have to get jobs and they're happy they were also encouraging other women at home who were who were who were uh, were just there and and made them earn money so that was my first uh, realization that uh, really that there has to be a lot of uh, opportunities that women then uh, should have because uh, in our town as early as uh, as early as uh, 13 after elementary uh, all girls uh, would have to go to a sewing uh, to address making uh, no, this uh, RPW producers and they make uh, and they have to work there as sewers. So, and uh, you know, when I was younger, I told them, "Oh, I don't like that. I want to study." <laughs> so, but you know, I had I had to experience also how to earn to do uh, sewing, uh, earn money from it. But of course. Uh, the thing that really always that always uh, comes to me is uh, the idea that I really had to go back to school. So with that one, um, so I'm curious in your town. Sorry, where 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 are you from, by the way? What town is this? I I is the uh, uh, garment uh, capital garment capital of the Philippines. So just just Rizal, okay, and that's why they yeah. Um, I don't know if forced is really like the best word to use, but they kind of force little girls to to learn how to sew because like what you mentioned, it's like the the clothes or the garment capital of the Philippines. But I'm just I just wanted to ask you know, so, uh, first question is, are they still doing that until now? I mean, minus the whole COVID thing, right? So minus COVID, like pre-COVID, were little girls still forced to, to work in like garment stores or garment factories mm -hmm. or something, what you call it? Uh, as of now, it's, uh, it's, it's quite, uh, it's a choice for uh, young girls who have, who have no man who, who cannot, who, whose families cannot afford to send them to school. Uh, but, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, also the garment industry had also suffered because of uh, those uh, imports and those ukay ukay. So there was also time when garment factory were really, was really down. And uh, the garment industry was really very, very slow. But we began to pick up, no? And uh, excited, excitingly, it's during the pandemic when the garment uh, industry became uh, uh, started to pick up, and uh, and uh, this uh, online uh, online selling has also did a lot about the garment industry in Taipei. But before that, we were already known because we have a lot. We have a you know the Changge in Taipei were in all. With uh, very cheap <laughs> dresses, and uh, many uh, retailers are uh, coming to to get their uh, stuff there to sell online. So that was really a that's really a good uh, opportunity for uh, for the garment industry to pick up. Although when they closed the big uh, Changge, 
uh, it was quite slow, but still they were selling because of the online, uh, of the online and delivery selling. But now it's again picking up because uh, uh, all the stalls were were open. Kaya nagkadanaman ang garment business. Yeah, actually, I had friends, and actually, my girlfriend went to that Tai Tai uh, Change. There, there's a specific yes. name remember. <laughs> um, anyway. So they went there and she was telling me that she bought like tops for like a hundred bucks, one fifty. Yeah. <laughs> how cheap are our materials right. actually? Like the like the, the fabric. How cheap is the fabric that well, you know, we, uh, we have a lot of factories, uh textile factories and textile uh uh producers and importers in my eye. And we also have textiles per kilo, which is very cheap. And that they can do a lot of uh, uh, some uh, uh, shops buy those uh, textile per uh, per kilo, which is very cheap. So they make a lot of money. Maganda basa, basa they make a good design and a good combinations of colors. Uh, you won't mistake this uh, product as uh, just a fabric remnant. So. Everywhere, uh, no, from uh, from uh, thread, uh, bottoms, everything is in like uh, it's really cheap. They sell it per kilo, and uh, people are creative, so they really is still holding. I for me, it's really a, a pride of our town. Yeah, and no, I think that's that's really amazing. Uh, because you know there are a lot of industries right in the past, like Marikina mm-hmm. for shoemaking. Uh, Bulacan was known for leather, if I'm not mistaken. No? Right. I, I could be mm-hmm. wrong, yeah, leather. Then, of course, Tai Tai for garments. But it's very sad to to see that a lot of um, local industries, you know, slowly died down. I, I guess it's it's good that Tai Tai somehow survived. I think Marikina yeah. is kind of barely surviving. I mean, there's there's still a few shops that still make local shoes right but i think the leather in bulacan's completely dead if i'm not mistaken i i can't think of any uh, right. producer right so um miss ubiaga so thank you for that i mean it's very awesome to get to know you about that aspect I, sorry before we you know start about your platform the the headband that you're wearing did you make that yourself by any chance no it's uh don't know where it came from, but I'm sure it came from China or Korea. Yeah, Korea. Korea. Okay, uh, sorry. I, I was just curious uh, if you made that your own because, you know, like what you said, you're, you're, you have a talent in crocheting. So what's yeah, the thing to you? You know, like? I already forgot all those uh, things uh, because, you know, I'm so busy now with a, with a different, uh, with a different uh, occupation. Yeah. So right now, um, you're known as someone who's an advocate for PWD rights, and you're actually a consultant, right? That was one of your roles, uh, being right. consultant for different companies and things like that. So I guess the first thing I want to ask you is, um, obviously, you've been a consultant for private corporations, right? Or only government? No, development organizations like, uh, like uh, different embassies, international organization and even the UN uh, and uh, uh, Australian uh, and Australian and even the German embassy were have uh, secured my services 
So with that one, uh, when you would when you were consulting for them, so was it more on them asking you like, okay, in the Philippines, what are like the different struggles that people with you know PWDs um, face, or like what were the type of um, questions well, they're asking you? It's about uh, strategies on how to involve uh, the participation of uh, the marginalized group in the in development initiatives. Uh, like, for example, in uh, uh, in uh, in women uh, in uh, what do you call it? women empowerment. How do we include women with disabilities? IPs. And uh, how do we how do we treat uh, the LGBTQIA and other sector in development? Yeah. So it's like uh, uh, giving them the idea on how we can uh, include, like for example, in uh, in uh, in consultation, in uh, participation, and uh, in, in uh, monitoring, uh, monitoring the monitor include how we can, how can we, uh, how can we uh, implement inclusive uh, monitoring where in all uh, marginalized sectors uh, would be included in the project. Okay, understood. So the next thing I want to ask you is now. So let's go to your platform proper, if that's okay with you. So you do have um, a poster, right? You know that says "Vote for Carmen Zubiaga." Then you have these four things that you put check marks on, right? So the first one is representation. Uh, the second one is gender equality, uh, disability, social inclusion. The third one is inclusive economic growth, and the fourth one is health and rehabilitation for all. So let's go to the first check, which is representation. So I guess my first question is. What do you mean by representation? That you're going to fight for that? Like, what is that exactly for you? Well, it's uh, we already have uh, we already have in the provision in the constitution of uh, people's participation. But the thing is, we do not give uh, uh, people's organization the capacity to meet, to participate meaningfully in governance. So. My uh, my uh, proposal or my platform is really uh, you cannot just include people without giving them the capacity, uh, uh, the capacity to uh, to participate in the development of program that is relevant to their needs, responsive to their needs, and uh, how how can they uh, be included in monitoring the in the implementation and monitoring if we don't give them the capacity. And uh, uh, we all know that this country is always is always living with rules. And there is no rule. How do we capacitate persons with disabilities, women, uh, the, the informal sector, uh, the workers and all sectors in the, in society to fully participate meaningfully in governance. So there has to be uh, a rule. There has to be a policy on how we have on how we can capacitate them. And if there is a policy, there has to be a program uh, for them so that they can go through that process of. Uh, 
of facing development uh, with open arms, with full understanding and uh, full participation. So with that, I wanted to ask you, no? so, you know, this may be a, this may sound like a very silly statement, no? but I guess my first question to you is based on what you see in terms of, you know, public transportation or public commuting com, uh, commuting for people on a scale of one to ten how pwd friendly are these government you know these public uh, co- uh what do you call it, commuting uh channels you know such as the mrt lrt i i guess you know what i'm going with right so, yeah, on a scale of one yeah. to ten one being it's not friendly to ten being like really awesome what would you give our current setup not it's really not friendly as you see no uh if you, if uh any one person cannot use the public transport then it's not effective so there has to be provision there has to be a study on how to make the public transport more accessible for all it should be it should be designed universal. It should be universally designed, wherein a maximum number of uh, sectors can use it: women, persons with disability, children, uh, people with uh, short stature, people on wheelchairs, people uh, uh, who are using cane. Everyone, all citizens, must use, must enjoy uh, the use of public transport yeah actually i have to agree with you because um let's just use the mrt as an example right um there's a particular mrt station in edsa we're in the sidewalk so like there's the stairs going up and this and there's like a railing here from the road and there's like this really small pathway for people like you can only go like one at a time and yeah. um, I, I think that's very unfortunate especially for people with disabilities, right? I mean, I remember one time when I was young, I was using the MRT, right? And it's just so lucky that there was a person with a, in the wheelchair, right? Needing to go upstairs. And mm-hmm. the person was just so lucky that the guard, for some reason, was down there. And you know what the guard did? Because the elevator was broken. The guard called for mm-hmm. help. The, the help got the wheelchair, brought it up. But the guard had to carry the person on the wheelchair up the stairs just so that the person could access the MRT, which I think is very ridiculous, right? I mean, mm-hmm. one elevator should be working so that you know we could go up, maybe have several elevators. So I'm just wondering, Ms. Ubiaga, um, in terms of you know this, right, the public transportation, have you spoken to engineers or people who have experience in terms of what government can do to yes. fix the situation and what did they you know, say in, you know you know in fact when i was uh, the executive director of uh, ncda we did a lot of uh, sensitivity uh, disability awareness and sensitivity workshop with uh, all uh, personnel of the otr dpwh uh, for accessibility I even arranged for an international course for them. And we were able to bring them to Australia to look at the benchmarking for public facilities. 
And, uh, you know, it was really disappointing that after the training, the person they sent to, to, to the, the person they sent, uh, they nominated for the training, had to retire. <laughs> so, uh, there is no uh, re-entry action plan for uh, DPWH and uh, BOTR for that. So, you know, it, it, this is really something that uh, we have to bear with the government, uh, the lack of uh, foresight, the, uh, the people who, who, were, who were supposed to implement uh, this uh, accessibility law are not even aware of uh, the difference between the policies they are holding. And uh, so many times that I have to, uh, I have to, st uh, to stand up and uh, tell them that you are holding the different policies and yet you don't know how to use it. So, well, uh, it's really uh, uh, for the longest uh, time, no? Uh, I've been in government, uh, for uh, seven years, and uh, my disappointment was uh, we trained people uh, to understand about the aspect of their work that would benefit uh, persons with disability, and yet people are learning uh, slowly, and then if they learn, they have to leave. So we have to start again from zero. So that is the most disappointing. Uh, part of uh, working with the government. They so never learn. <laughs> so, so with that one, you mentioned that the person that they nominated to go to Australia, right, for the training had to retire. Was the person old? Was he like 55 or something? Like, Well, he was around uh, uh, 60 or 62 and he still had uh, three years, I suppose. <laughs> But, yeah, but uh, would they would send someone younger, or at least send two people. They could, right? yeah. That's why, yeah. When we saw, when we saw the nominee, I was quite. Uh, I already had the intuition that nothing will happen to this. But you know, it was uh, approved by the secretary of uh, of uh, DPWH, and uh, we were we have to haggle with. Uh, uh, with other uh, with other nominees uh, who were already there and uh, waiting for just waiting for that one to be completed but you know uh, i had a feeling that that okay just accept it and uh, <laughs> oh you know that that was really disappointing especially for me and uh, i planned the course uh, it was uh, accepted by the australian and uh, by the australian embassy and uh, well, so, so far that that's uh, really a disappointment on our part. So was that how many years ago was this when, when that happened? That was twenty fifteen. Wow, that was seven years ago. Yeah. That that that's that's crazy. So I, I I'm just curious. So you mentioned that the person was sent to Australia right for the training that you helped prepare. Who paid for for the, these expenses? You know, the, the, the training, the, the Australian is Australian embassy. So they it's paid the, for everything. Yeah, they paid for everything. And the Philippine government didn't have to pay for anything at all. I guess the only thing they oh, paid for they was don't have to pay, yes. extra expense, right? 
Right, right. So they didn't pay for anything, and then they decide to send someone who's going to retire in three years. Oh, yeah, as if they just made it as an incentive for uh, the future retirees, which is really crazy. So, so like with that one, um, I, I just find it very surprising because I'm surprised they didn't send two people. Did they give a reason why they chose that person? That's one. And second, why they only sent one person and not two. Since anyway, the government is not paying for anything. As you mentioned, it was the mm-hmm. Australian government. That, that yes, paid. yes. So, so did the government, did you ask the government why they chose that person and why they only sent one person instead of like two or three or maybe even five? No, we cannot, we, we did not ask because we, we did not want to offend them. Okay, so... I guess you know that a lot of people, when they hear the word government in the Philippines, right, they think it's very bureaucratic, there's just so many steps, and all of these things, right? Uh, do right. you think until now, it's the, the government still has that kind of um, image toward the normal Filipino citizen? I think it's even uh, it's, it's becoming worse. <laughs> That's why we really need a new government, a new, new people, and we don't need uh, those troubles anymore because we have to change the face of the government. Because we, and we need to place people who knows accountability, who knows uh, uh, people who know uh, uh, responsibility, people who know development, and people who know uh, who, are, who should be given the priority. So with that one, I'm curious. So, you know, you are running for senator. And I'm curious, what would be, let's say you do win, for example, right? Let's say you win, you make it to the Magic 12. Um, what would be like the first law you would write and try to obviously pass? Like what would be your first law under this representation part of your platform? Well, uh, of course, we have to come up with, uh, we have to review those uh, bills like the empowerment, uh, people empowerment bill, and uh, which uh, we could uh, use that uh, to come up with a relevant uh, program of action uh, uh, for the law uh, with, with policy, in, with policies, because, you know, you cannot, you cannot uh, come up with a better program if you don't have policies. So we need to come up with a policy to support uh, to support uh, people empowerment, uh, people empowerment, uh, especially uh, their participation in uh, a social and uh, political uh, aspect of governance. And uh, they have to be involved in decision making. Like we have to teach them how to establish a real organization. An organization that is independent and not being uh, and not being uh, suppressed by the government, because you know some government are thinking that uh, people's organizations are their extension, and if they don't want uh, uh, the officers, uh, they can disenfranchise uh, anytime they want, or they can come up with election. Uh, they can uh, instruct them to do an election so that officer they would choose officer that uh, uh, the go- the local government officials uh, would prefer, and that is not 
uh, good governance, you know. That is not people, uh, you are not empowering people. You are oppressing them. And we need people to understand that me, having uh, having an organization is not a joke because it's a representation. Uh, it, it will... Uh, uh, it will uh, uh, legalize their uh, representation as people's organization wanting to be a part of uh, local governance. I always give emphasis to local governance, which means that organizations should be based uh, uh, at the barangay, uh, municipal, and provincial level. Because these are uh, the primary uh, government units that people should go to and they should uh, develop uh, responsive programs for them and even uh, deliver services for them and they should know people whom they should deliver services and uh, we should we should not uh, we should not allow these uh, local officials to choose people uh, they want to deal with. They have to deal with people who are elected by the people and not uh, their choice. So we have to we have to stop that habit uh, for uh, for those local officials of uh, selective uh, selective uh, representation. Uh, and we want to uh, we want to educate our people that and uh, make them strong and uh, uh, make them feel that government is ours and these people we elected are our servants and we are not serving them they should serve us so do you agree with the statement by former president magsay say when he said that malacanang is the palace of the people of course, it's the people's money that uh, we spend people's money to build Malacanang. So it's the people's uh, place. So only those who are elected by the people should reside in Malacanang. Yeah, the reason I ask that is um, there's this one celebrity who said that a particular candidate is very close to coming home. I don't want to mention... Oh, well, she is uh, such a stupid uh, citizen of this country, and we don't want to deal so much with uh, with, uh, with that stupid statement because we all know that Malacanang is for the people and not for even if you go even if you grew up there or uh, you roam all around Malacanang or all your childhood, it's not yours. It's for the people. It's the people's property, not any family. So I wanted to, to ask, you know, and sorry, we're, we're still sticking to the, you know, the PWD rights section of your platform, if that's okay, you know, because I feel that that's something that not a lot of other candidates do talk about or that really fight for, you know, aside from you. you know. Yes. Yeah, yes. So Exactly. So going back to that, um, in terms of, you know, aside from you, right, aside from you running for center, are there other candidates, whether it's for president or vice president, who are supporting you or supporting 
what you believe in or supporting your platform for the PWD? I think, yes. Uh, we have a lot of, like, most of uh, the senators for a cause uh, already uh, uh, read my first uh, appearance uh, uh, in the public. Uh, they all followed me and they, uh, whenever we see, they, uh, they express their support for me. And uh, I think they know what we were talking about because most of them uh, somehow we I already have uh, uh, dealt with them during my term as executive director of NCBA, and uh, most of them uh, I gave I gave some uh, some proposal for them for a bill like the inclusive education wherein uh, one of the senator. Uh, had discussed uh, about uh, that he supported the passage of uh, inclusive education and the universal health care and uh, the mandatory health coverage for persons with disability. Uh, these are some of uh, the policies that uh, uh, I proposed to this uh, senator. And I even made organized uh, groups of people to lobby for that. So with uh, that, uh, yeah, sorry. But with that being said, why do you think it's taking so long for Congress or Senate to to really get on the? Sorry, not really on the, not really on the bus. But like, why is it taking them so long? to pass bills that would make the lives of the PWD community easier. Because we have so many other bills that are being passed. And I'm going to be honest, like right now, top of mind, I can't think of any PWD bill that has been passed or has had like a first, second, or third reading. So why do you think that it's, I mean, quote and unquote, not, it's not really the best word to use, but why do you think it's not being prioritized as compared to other the main reason for that is they don't know. They are not aware of all the ins and outs of uh, uh, programs and uh, services and what persons with disabilities really need. They uh, they just know that yeah they know education, but you know what what it what uh, made it took so long for inclusive education to be passed. It's the uh, lack of knowledge about disability, about the support services needed, about what is inclusion. You know, there are so many misconceptions about inclusion that these lawmakers and even program implementers are not really, uh, they are not really sure of uh, if these are, uh, if this is fit, if this is proper, because they don't know, they haven't, they haven't had any experience implementing such thing. Like for example, making all, uh, 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 making inclusion work in a classroom. They think that inclusion is just putting all uh, learners in one classroom, but that is not, you know. To be able to put uh, multi-disability learners, you have to have support services for them, not just throw them there and let them struggle, struggle to survive. 
But it's not inclusive education. Inclusive education, the core of inclusive education is the quality of support being provided to every learner. Like if you are deaf and uh, there is blind, they can live together in one classroom together with the regular student, but you have to provide them services so that they can uh, they can uh, participate on an equal basis with other students without disabilities. No? Like, if you are deaf, you have to have a sign language interpreter so you can catch up with what is being taught. You don't expect a teacher to sign. It's not the teacher who should sign. There should be a sign language interpreter in the classroom if there is a deaf uh, learner. So these are the things that they could not comprehend. So do you think, though, um, wouldn't it be better? Because you mentioned that it's okay to put, you know, let's say a blind student or a deaf student with regular, you know, sorry, sorry for the term, um, with other students without disability, right? So right. wouldn't you think it would be better, though, if we separated them and give them a more... Um, tailored education for them that would be easier because wouldn't it be a you bit know, that have been uh, that have been the practice and what is the result? Children with disabilities uh, after after uh, basic after uh, high school or secondary education growing up with that kind of setup they could not cope with tertiary education. You know, you know, you, you denied, you denied a, a child with disability to socialize and live with other children just because of ignorance. And ignorance really kills. Ignorance denied. So we have to stop that ignorance uh, within the government system. There should be no segregation. Segregation, you, you want to segregate them. It's not for their sake, but for your sake, you want to be comfortable. But that it, that, uh, that costs their future. That's why there are so many persons with disabilities who could not survive in the workplace, in the regular workplace, because they grew up in a, in a, in a setting uh, only with, the, with their fellow uh, person with disability. So what happens if you go out and uh, live with uh, people without disabilities? They were shocked and you were shocked because uh, people without disabilities uh, would think, oh, there's someone like her, there's someone like him. And the uh, person is, why, I, why they look at me differently? You see, you deny them to be recognized uh, by others. And this is the cruelty that has been going on for years. And uh, they set up the special education uh, unit, and that is like a glass, uh, a glass room, wherein people are looking at this group of uh, learners in a different perspective. They are in a regular setup, but they were segregated. So this is not the ideal setup. What is ideal is provided with support system they need 
and let them live with other uh, with other uh, uh, children, with other youth, and let them be included. After all, we we, uh, we strive for inclusion. So with that one, Ms. Ubiaga, I understand your point now. We're in, in self-segregating them and making them feel that they're different. It's better to put them with all other kids. You know, they can make friends. Um, just make sure that, you know, if there's a deaf kid, there's a sign language interpreter. If the student is blind, obviously you have to give them Braille books or maybe Braille uh, materials, right? Audio, uh, audio books. <laughs> or audio as well. Sorry, I guess I went too old school right. with that. Uh, but either, I think either is okay. Uh, I think you're okay with either. I, uh, either yes. I in fact, in fact, most blind, uh, most blind uh, learners were saying that, "Mom, we don't want Braille. It's very hard because oh, you have to, you have to study Braille because your uh, your uh, father, your uncles are also blind and knows how to read uh, with yeah. Braille. You also have to live with that because." Yeah. You cannot read without, if there is no electricity or your iPad runs out of battery, you can no longer read. Or, or so, when they ride an elevator. Yeah. Because right there are some elevators where the buttons have those braille markers. Right, right, right. Yeah, sorry. You know, thinking about, I sound so silly thinking of braille, but there are audiobooks. Sorry about that. So with that uh-huh. one, um, so obviously this is something you're very passionate about, obviously, because, you know, you, you went through it yourself as a kid that you weren't really able right. to school because of a hill yeah. and those things so i'm wondering um i want to know were you able to to do some research or do enough research to find out the cost of having these special sorry not really special but these necessary um, materials and personnel to help these kids with disabilities because obviously sign language interpreters aren't free of course you have to give them a salary benefits all those things yes um, creation of Braille or audiobooks. Well, the audiobooks, maybe it's not that expensive because, you know, mm-hmm. or whatever, or you can do it online. But of course, Braille may cost um, some money, right? Well, actually, question? not anymore because we can already buy a Braille printer or in, uh, they can, you can encode uh, just like anybody. Uh, like you can just type everything and then you print it. It come out in Braille. So, you know, it's wow. easy. Technology makes things easy for us now. Yeah. So it's like a so normal... it's not that hard. So it's like a normal keyboard where, let's say, I type Carmen. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yes. yes. In Braille. Oh, wow. Okay. Right. And, Is this uh, last technology? Three years. Yeah, you know, in fact, uh, the, the Braille printers are being produced here in the Philippines by a Japanese company. And, uh, they were they were sold uh, uh, worldwide, but not in the Philippines. That is so strange, but no, but I mean, <laughs> right. um, technology is really helping out everyone nowadays. So sorry. So going back now, um, were you able to figure out how much all of this would cost? Because of course, let's say you do win for a senator, you're gonna have to fight for a budget for this, right? So of course. So first question is. Around how much do you think you would need in a year for all of these things? And second Okay, so first question is how much? And the second question is where will you get the money from? Because, of course, you know, as you know, the Philippines is one of the highest tax countries for citizens, right? And um, when we just want to buy fried chicken, we pay 12% VAT. 
when you want to buy clothes, we pay 10, 12% back. So the question is, um, even if it's not much, maybe you could give us a number, whether it's a rough estimate or not. And second, where will you get it from? So yeah, please go ahead. Well, you know, the Philippines is not that poor. We don't have money because it, it went, uh, those money who, which were supposed to be for the people went to corruption. And uh, the first thing really that we have to that we have to do is uh, come up with measures wherein corruption will not will not have any will not have any space in government. And uh, we also need to collect taxes efficiently. And if we do. And if the government would come up with uh, an efficient measure to collect taxes, we will have enough money to support uh, all the services uh, that uh, we can think of. You know how how many how many billions or even trillion went to corruption this past uh, three years? Yeah, they have to pay that back. They have to pay. So we need to chase those people. Who really who squander the um, the people's money, and uh, we have you know like for example accessibility that can be a part of the build build build, but they choose to forget. So you know if if uh, I have uh, if I if I have if uh, if once if I got if I secured a seat the Senate. The first thing I would do is to file a case against this uh, government, uh, this uh, government agencies for negligence of duty. Because you know we have a law, we have laws, and yet they uh, they did not uh, they did not uh, uh, they did not comply. They did not comply with the law of accessibility. So. Anyone can file a case against them in the ombudsman. So this is to show that given the given the uh, given the given the uh, their, uh, given the responsibility, they should have complied with all the laws that that should, that is uh, uh, that goes with the build build build. So, that is to, we have to run after them, and that is the only way for them to learn. You know, if, if they don't face what if they don't face what they did, others will continue to do that. And who are suffering? It's not only the person with disabilities, but the, all the all the commuting public. And uh, we, we really have to uh, we really have to highlight the mistakes that they have done for a lot for a lot of people. And for how many years? Forty years had passed, and there is no uh, programs for persons with disabilities that really respond to their needs. And to think that they were saying that we are the minority that is wrong. Almost half of the population are persons with disabilities. Uh, now we have uh, uh, we have 12 percent, 15 uh, 15 years old and above, 
were uh, uh, were, ser- were, uh, were identified as people living with various disability, and that is roughly 13 million people. And we have the older person, which is about 10 million. And we have people with mental health condition about eight, about 3.5 million or more. So if the population of persons with disability is almost half of the Philippine population, do, do you call us the minority? And we are above and we are running in all across all sectors. All sectors have persons with disabilities. Women, older person, majority of them, youth, children, uh, IPs, OFW, workers. So don't call us minority. And this and this country really lost billions of hours, which which were supposed to be productive, just because of forgetting to serve people with disabilities. You know, if, if, uh, if we have uh, at least uh, 25 million persons with disabilities, including older persons, youth, and uh, people of working age, and an hour of an hour of uh, not being productive, uh, will be counted. That would cost us millions, billions, and even trillions. And uh, counting them by years, by hours, by hours per day or by years, we already got so many years of uh, productivity because we did not serve these people so that they can become productive and contribute to nation building. In fact, we don't. We are, they don't need. Uh, uh, they don't need welfare assistance. They need opportunity to work and be productive so that they can contribute and not a burden to society. So, you know, this is, uh, this is really, this is reality that people are not thinking. Like even, like, you know, if, if you lost, uh, if you met an accident and you could not work for how many months, so, your your income and your contribution is also affected. Instead of you contributing to the economy, and then there uh, there has to be uh, assistance that you should get. And not everybody understands the loss the losses that disability is giving in the economy. So so sorry to. To, to push no uh miss Ubiaga, but sorry i really need the number so like around how much do you think you would need for for this well uh if if we if we uh if we look at the registry no because not we uh if the government would love to have warm bodies no? and uh in the registry we have around the we have uh, registry is now about half a million. Only half a million persons with disabilities are registered, or even less. 
but in the in the local government if you count them uh for for every province no uh we have 81 provinces with the uh, with uh, a total, with uh, an average of, uh, uh, with an average of, uh, let's say, 80,000. No? We got the highest and the lowest. We made an average about 80,000 persons with disabilities times eight times 81. That is around 6.4 million people, something like that. So these people have different needs. There might be people who, who are uh, severe with severe uh, disability that uh, their functionality are quite uh, lower than others, but there are people who have higher functionality. So it has to undergo assessment on the things they need. So it has to be the local government who should assess because it depends on the type of disabilities. Like for example, if our, if we have, let's say uh, 2 million or 5 million uh, children in school, then we need to provide them with uh, additional teachers, uh, additional uh, make, uh, make the, uh, education uh, environment more accessible for them provide them with uh, gadgets that uh, would uh, make learning uh, easier and uh, give them also provide them also with some uh, uh, with uh, some support uh, when it comes to uh, supplies and uh, learning materials that required so like uh, in 2018 uh, DepEd has allotted uh, 3 million for learning materials intended for uh, learners with disability. They were not able to spend that. Why? Because they don't know. They don't know what kind of, where to get those learning materials they need so that they can, uh, so that uh, children with uh, intellectual disabilities and uh, blind can also enjoy using tactile uh, 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 tactile goals. No? So I, I told them that you should have told us earlier so we can uh, make research. But you know, the cycle is ending and then your meager 3 million cannot spend it anymore. Because you have to undergo the process of procurement. So, walang nangyari. So, you know, we cannot, we cannot really, um, uh, we cannot really uh, implement uh, programs if people who are implementing the programs do not understand the needs of uh, the program uh, beneficiaries. So, there has to be a lot of uh, awareness, disability awareness, knowledge uh, that the education system and even all government agencies uh, uh, serving uh, people 
uh, can include disability within their respective program. We have to teach them how to include persons with disabilities in the economy, in education, in uh, all programs in the government. All right. So with that one, uh, Ms. Zubiaga, you, you know, you, you answered the question um, very clearly and very well. So if it's okay with you, I'd like to go to the next check mark of yours, if that's okay, okay. which is um, gender equality and disability social inclusion. So with that statement alone, no, so I guess you already explained the disability uh, social inclusion, right? When you're saying that do not segregate let these kids, you know, be with other kids, let them make friends so that when they grow up, get to college, they'll be able to handle it. When they go to the workplace, they'll be able to handle all of these mm -hmm. things, right? But in terms of the gender equality part, um, this is what I need to understand, though. So are you fighting for gender equality as a whole or gender equality in terms of the PWD community? As a whole, you know, you cannot, you cannot, uh, because, you know, uh, gender gender has uh, intersectionalities. Like, you can't be a woman or man with disability or a woman with disability and poor, a woman with disability and battered and abused, or a man uh, or a gay uh who have no uh, who ha who spent all his life with uh, with same sex relationship yet after so many years being uh, uh so many years Okay, so I think uh, Ms. Subiaga's internet connection isn't um, doing so well. So I'd like to apologize, guys, for the very long, uh, for the quite some time. So we'll just let Ms. Subiaga uh, fix her connection. And so while we're waiting for Ms. Subiaga, okay, she's back. Yeah. Hi, Ms. Subiaga. <laughs> yeah, so, sorry. Uh, you okay. disappeared for a while. You disappeared for a while. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so sorry, could you go back now? So you're talking about yeah. male, female, uh, yeah, yeah, the intersectionality uh, of gender. No, no, it's uh, uh, how gender is being compartmentalized. No, like being a woman, uh, being a woman, uh, having disability, uh, being an IP. Yeah. Um, so yeah, while we're waiting for Ms. Ubiaga again to to have a better internet connection, uh, yeah, so to our viewers and our listeners tomorrow, well, except for our listeners, I'm sorry, guys, but for our viewers tonight, if you have any questions for Ms. Ubiaga about her platform, about her beliefs and all these things, just comment them down below. And for those, and I'd like to thank our sponsors now for today's episode, which are Swagat Indian Cuisine, 
uh, Mask in More Manila, and Derm Nature. So, guys, thank you again so much for sponsoring us. Also, Miss Ubiaga uh, got disconnected right now. Hopefully, she'll be able to connect back to us. So, I think she's okay. Yeah. So, Miss Ubiaga, well, Miss Ubiaga is um, uh-huh. connect. There you go. Perfect. Yeah, it's all right, Miss Ubiaga. Uh, we all know the internet yes. is the greatest thing in the world. But yeah, please, please go ahead. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so we were talking about the intersectionality of gender. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, what we really, really want... Uh, yeah, disability so anyway, or creed should they should be protected they should be protected by law and uh they should not be left behind they should they should have all the opportunity given to all people you know the orientation uh sexual orientation is becoming an issue and uh much more if uh, uh there are other uh uh, there are other factors of marginalization, such as disability, ethnicity, and uh, even uh, belief. No? So this is what we want to. We, this is what we want to address. I'm not. Uh, we are. Uh, 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 we are responding uh, uh, when asked if. Uh, what about same-sex marriage? And I tell them, uh, marriage is not something that we can uh, we can uh, uh, we can uh, uh, put into law because marriage is about religion. But we can uh, choose civil union uh, to protect uh, same-sex relationship because uh, in the future, uh, nobody should be abused nobody everyone uh, each one should be protected in terms of rights to property and uh, if there are children involved there has to be responsibility and protection for these children so this is not what civil union would be no it's about protection because you know we cannot we cannot uh, dictate any person the living arrangement uh, they uh, they want to choose. They can choose. They have the right to choose the living arrangement they want, and that is uh, their right. So what we want to do is provide them with protection, a protection of the law. And uh, well, it's their life. And what we can do is protect them. So I guess, Miss um, Zubiaga, the, the thing I want to ask you is, so I actually had this conversation with another senatorial candidate about civil union versus marriage. And he pointed out to me that it's actually the state that gives the marriage certificate, right? I mean, you have to go to your local um, barangay hall or whatever. You know, you pay the fee. Um, register, then they'll give you your marriage certificate, right? So I guess the question is because you're you're pushing for civil union, which is basically same-sex marriage in a way, 
just it's instead of calling it well, marriage well, it's civil union. no well for me because, because you really have to look at the root of marriage and uh and if uh if we put it that way then there there will be a strong opposition from the religious group and okay. the religious group should also understand that uh people should also understand that there are a lot of religion and uh, the root of the marriage is uh, religion. So we cannot, as a state, uh, dictate people or dictate religion about what what uh, uh, to uh, to change uh, their uh, their their uh, dogma about marriage. You know? So if we really look at it, it's not marriage is uh, is rooted in religion. But civil union is a state way of protecting uh, couples, same-sex couples, uh, about their life and about their rights uh, to live uh, with security. That's all. So I and guess they have to understand that. Yeah, I guess it's more on the the point that the other candidate wanted to make was. Um, of course, there's always freedom of religion, right? There's a law here that protects each religion's beliefs, right? Wherein the state cannot right. say, oh, you guys have to believe in this or whatever, right? I mean, mm -hmm. if religion exactly. says that uh, we cannot, we will not eat pork, the state cannot go to the place of worship and say, here's free pork, go eat, right? Because, you know, that's a belief. Right. But, um, the point of the other candidate, uh, if I if I could uh, finish, is more on why not call it... Um, you know, why, why not call it, let's say, same-sex civil marriage or, or whatever, something like that. But whatever. if it's um, but let's say if religion say, hey, we don't want to, to you know, to allow this in our places of worship, of course, the government would be like, yeah, of course, you know, if, if you're not open to it, that's fine. But in, you know, your local town halls or your barangay halls or your um, mayor's offices or etc., um, these same-sex couples can get married here. So I'm just wondering, uh, would you be in support of something like that? We're in. They'll call it, let's say, civil same-sex marriage, of course, with the word civil on it. But if religions say that they don't want to do it, the state will be like, sure, no problem. Yeah, there's no problem. Well, actually, uh, if whatever, uh, I really don't care what term they have to use but my my intention is protection of both the people okay so i'm not sure if miss zubiaga can hear me uh She's having some trouble with her connection. But yeah, to our viewers, again, if you have any questions for Ms. Ubiaga about her platform, about LGBT issues, please just comment them down below. And we'll, we're hoping that she'll be able to connect with us uh, very, very soon again. But yeah, going back, uh, right now we're discussing... Oh, okay, Ms. Ubiaga's yeah. back. Hi, uh, Ms. Ubiaga, right. can you hear me? Right, yes, yes. I can hear you. Okay, good. Yeah, sorry, sorry about that. So anyway, um, so going back, uh, I just want to ask you a few questions 
and um, I'll allow you to explain if you want to explain, but if you just simply want to say that you are pro or anti, that's okay, mm-hmm. right? But there is open, there is room for you to be able to explain your your answer if you want to explain, all right? Okay. So obviously, um, same-sex marriage is a yes for you, whether or not it's called same-sex marriage, but that there's some sort of marriage for LGBT, you're pro it, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, the next thing I want to ask you is, uh, right now, when we go abroad, especially in the U.S., Canada, and Europe, um, there's a law that allows transgender individuals, so whether you're a transgender woman or a transgender man, uh, th- this law allows them to change their gender marker in government IDs. So let's say mm-hmm. in your driver's license, instead of it being male, it will be female. And you can even choose the name. You know, you can even put the name of your choice. Uh, right. The question is, would you be in favor of a law like that to be passed in the Philippines if you are senator? Okay, so... Yeah, there we go. Yeah, Ms. Ubiaga, sorry, were, were you able to hear my question? Yeah, so the, the internet is um quite a challenge uh for everyone here in the Philippines. So, the only thing is uh the only question is uh, we have to legalize it because you know if people can already do it, why not? Instead of uh, making it illegal for the longest time, let's legalize it. Okay, and, so you're and it's the people's right. Yeah, it's the right of everyone to choose the name they want. All right. And, so the next yeah. thing I want to ask you is, uh, and sorry about this. No, I'm, I'm not sure if it's mine connection or your connection but in the end the filipino people loses with the internet speeds that we have um so the next thing i want to ask you is so you're pro um lgbt marriage civil union etc you're also pro transgender individuals in changing their names and their gender markers Mm -hmm. and all government um ids documents etc so the next i want to ask you is uh in terms of abortion in the Philippines, whether it's medical or not medical uh, abortion, would you be, uh, would you support the legalization or the decriminalization of abortion in the Philippines? Well, I have uh, expressed my uh, my support to decriminalize abortion because, you know, if a life is at stake uh, between the mother and the child, and we have to we have to choose. And uh, if uh, anyone is in danger, then we can do uh, we can do abortion. So we should not uh, we should not as long as it's uh, uh, as uh, it's uh, uh, it has gone through a process like there is a uh, uh, there is a opinion medical opinion. And uh, I and I am not for abortion just because a woman would like to release herself from responsibility. And for 
and for uh, women who were victims of rape, I, uh, there has to be a process for them. If we can save, if we can save, but uh, if there is another uh, threat of, uh, like if, uh, if uh, the victim is uh, very young and it will cost her life, why not? Uh, that's, uh, we can allow uh, 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 abortion. But if uh, if the woman is uh, not uh, is not in danger, then uh, the government has to come in and process, and uh, maybe uh, come up with a for me. No, if if uh, if 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 the victim is uh, processed, then. Uh, we do not want to create women who are guilty all their lives. Because so, uh, we have uh, seen how women who did the uh, abortion uh, has been, uh, it, it's their lifetime, uh, it's their lifetime uh, baggage. And we don't want to create such women who, uh, who have baggages in life. That is much more of a punishment. Okay. So you're pro-decriminalization, but you're not pro-legalization yes. in general. No, no. The decriminalization no, no. is in general, right? Yes. Okay. The next thing I want to ask you is, um, let's talk about the environment for a bit before we go back to societal. So we have candidates such as, well, Kaliodi actually is the only candidate who says that he wants to close down all the coal plants. And he's the only presidential mm -hmm. candidate who used that word, wherein he will close them down. Because other candidates said, we'll look for alternatives and things like that. For him, it's like, we'll close them down and do other alternatives, you know, whether it's wind, solar, etc. So my question is, would you support the closing down of all coal plants in the country? Well, if uh, these uh, coal plants really had already done so much uh, damage to our uh, to our uh, environment and even uh, in, in the ozone layer, so uh, I might as well uh, support uh, this move so that we can heal the environment. No, but it's not. It's not uh it's not an immediate thing, not an immediate closure. I said let's let's study this for five years for alternative. Because you cannot just you cannot just kill anyone without due process. But for sure we will kill that. No, we have to kill the chicken after all. And uh, we really have to, I'm sure there are a lot of alternatives, but we have to set it up. Uh, let us prepare, no? And even in, uh, in the, but I am for closure of open pit mining. And uh, uh Total land ban for a period of 10 to 20 years and to heal the forest. And uh, only that we have to set up uh, 
commercial uh, a forest, uh, we have to choose establish a space uh, for uh, for producing uh, trees that that uh, that is used that can be used in uh, uh, in uh, uh, can be used in a build build project or other commercial uh, purposes, but not that high a uh, high volume high volume of uh, trees being you know but let us let us heal first the forest you know because uh, our forests had suffered a lot and we are also suffering be uh, because of uh, uh, because of the calamities that goes with the environment degradation and environment protection or environment uh, healing is also healing uh, the people who are affected by uh, uh, affected by this uh, environment uh, degradation. You know that my open pit mining had caused also a lot of disabilities, especially mental disabilities. Uh, among people who are living near the areas of open pit mining, especially in areas where they use mercury. And uh, that's why we don't, we, uh, people may not be aware that a number of people who have mental health conditions or mental, and mental illness are suffering because of that, uh, of that uh, open pit mining. And if we look at the contribution of mining in the economy, it's very small and we cannot afford uh, the losses that we get uh, with that very small uh, with that very small contribution in the economy. And who's getting rich? Those who are operating the mining, those who, who own the mining field. So it's not practical. And uh, we have to start, we have to start, and there has to be strong people, strong legislators to push for this. And uh, to be sure, let us not put people who have so much debt of gratitude to this, uh, to this uh, businessmen, no? people, uh, to this uh, oligarch, and uh, 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 let us avoid putting politicians who have a lot of uh, who have a good uh, who are nurturing relationship with this uh, people with this uh, uh, with this business uh, people with uh, business interest. That's not good for us. And development cannot be measured by how much you get. It's not about in terms of GDP. But it's about people and how they and how they uh, progress in thinking, in decision making, and participating in development. Okay, so you're you would close the coal plants after a certain amount of time, and I was going to ask you if you would support open pit mining, and uh, you know, with your answer, it's obviously no. So the next thing I want to ask you is. Because, of course, as a senator, right, if you do win, aside from fighting for PWD rights, there are other laws that, you know, you need to have a stand on, right? That's why I'm asking you these kinds of questions. 
So the next I want to ask you is, uh, when it comes to sex work, so would you support the legalization of sex work? Of course, I'll put some, um, I'll put some parentheses. I'll put some asterisks on that, no, to to make it very clear. Would you be pro the legalization of sex work that wasn't because of obviously like human trafficking or underage sex work? I mean, for as long as it's a human being who chooses that you know, that profession, because, you know, whether or not, you know, maybe because they think they're good at it or just something they want to do instead, uh, would you allow the legalization of sex work in the Philippines for as long as it was by choice and not because of human trafficking or any other illegal means? First, really, I don't want women to be commercialized or to be prostituted. Because you know, it's not it's not how our women should be. Because our women are they are our uh they are treasure. We cannot we cannot commercialize their being a woman. And we cannot allow them to commercialize uh, their body. Because it's we have to teach, we are teaching every girl to respect their bodies and uh, not use it for commercial purposes. And it would be, uh, I, I, uh, I don't want to encourage women uh, to do such a thing because, uh, you know, you know, in the Philippines, as Filipinos, we have very high regard uh, among our women. And we are changing the way women are being treated by this, uh, uh, by patriarchal societies. No? And we don't want our women to be, uh, to be degraded. We don't want them to lose their dignity just because of uh, just because of money, because they can be more. You know, they every woman, every woman would not choose to commercialize themselves if they have the opportunity. And uh, well, if there are women who want to do that, maybe they can do it outside the Philippines, but not here in the Philippines. Because we don't want uh, our young girls. We don't want our young. Yeah. So, sorry again about this, um, guys. So, uh, Ms. Ubiaga's connection is a bit uh, faulty. So, for those who live in the Philippines, you know that. The internet's not so good. But yeah, Ms. Ubiaga is back. So sorry, please, please continue, Ms. Ubiaga. Sorry, you, you were frozen for a good like five to ten seconds. But yeah, please go ahead. Right. Yeah. Oh, I'm gonna please. Yeah, hello, Ms. Ubiaga. Can, yes, can you hear me? I'm here. Yeah, I can hear oh, yeah. you. Yeah. So anyway, so going back, so I guess to, to sum it up, no, 
um, whether it's the legalization or decriminalization of sex work in the Philippines, you would not support it. No, I won't. Unless if they do it abroad, like what you mentioned. Okay. Right. So, all right. So the next thing I wanted to to talk to you about now is we'll go back to your platform over here. So you have inclusive economic growth. So what do you mean by that exactly? Well, in all economic programs, persons with disabilities and other sectors should be included. No? There has been a lot of, uh, uh, there has been a big gap uh, between the, the participation of uh, men and women with disabilities, uh, women in the informal sector, and they're not being given the same, uh, uh, they're not given the opportunities uh, uh, to participate in uh, business, uh, do sk have skills development, have access to capital, and even in uh, access to market, like a majority of uh, our farmers uh, are not are not uh, uh, selling all their produce, especially uh, when uh, the crops are in season. So I'm I'm. So yeah, um, so yeah, guys, while we're waiting for Mr. Biaga, if you have any questions, uh, please do comment them down below. Uh, we will be ending the episode very shortly once uh, Ms. Biaga uh, is back in terms of her uh, connection. No, so yeah, so please do comment down below your your last few questions for Ms. Biaga before we end the episode so you know she had to disconnect again uh because unfortunately as we all all filipinas know um our internet here in the philippines is really really bad and uh but to give you like a summary so far for those who may be joining in only now so when we look at certain issues so miss zubiaga is anti um sex work whether it's the legalization or decriminalization uh, when it's about abortion, she's only for decrimination. And Ms. Ubiaga is back. So, yes, Ms. Ubiaga. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, please go ahead. Sorry, I was just giving our listeners uh, a summary of all of the of your different yes. standards. So, please go ahead. Yeah. Like in the case of persons with severe disabilities and those with intellectual disabilities, the law says that uh, local government units should set up sheltered uh, production centers so that uh, they can uh, uh, they can uh, be a part of the government uh, skills training program and provide it with capital and uh, they have to provide spaces for them so that they can uh, work and uh, that is the same now with uh, like I'm saying with the farmers. Uh, who waste their crop uh, in season 
because they don't know what to do with that. Uh, like, for example, when, uh, when it's a uh, season for tomatoes, they throw all the tomatoes because they cannot sell them. But if we teach the farmers how to preserve uh, these crops and uh, how, how to sell them, how to package them, then there will be no problem, no? We can have uh, uh, preserved uh, tomatoes, preserved onions, and uh, a lot of kimchi from uh, Baguio. You know, they don't have to throw this vegetable away and uh, complain that they are poor. But, you know, we, they, our government is not even lifting figure on how to support them in this. Yeah. So I think um, Ms. Ubiaga's point is we need to be more inclusive. So when you look at farmers, right, farmers uh, here or maybe in some other countries as well, when they have certain crops that aren't in season, uh, and they're not able to sell them. And of course, you know, we can only consume a certain amount of anything in life. Um, she would want to okay. teach them how to preserve. Okay, there, Ms. Ubiaga is back. Sorry about that, Ms. Ubiaga. I was just trying to right, give us some right. but Yeah, please go ahead. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, so uh, those government agencies like PESDA should train the farmers and the community on how to do uh, how to do food preservation so that when the crops that uh, are at surge, they don't have to be thrown away, but instead they can be preserved. So you know, it's a pity that they have to throw throw all these uh, crops and uh, lose uh, money while they can do something about it. And uh, we, need, we really need to establish uh, a central a centralized uh, uh, market uh, outlet for direct uh, producers so that they also learn how to do business and be uh, and uh, avoid middlemen, which really makes the product more expensive. So there are a lot uh, a lot uh, of uh, a lot of strategy that we can do no, for the farmers uh, to really earn. But the government is not doing it because uh, the local government are also very uh, dependent on national uh, agencies like PESTA, DPI. Well, they have a local, uh, they already have a local counterpart in every local government. And that is one thing that we need to make uh, our farmers, our informal sectors, uh, informal workers, very poor. You know, if we if we uh, if we invest more in the community-based uh, employment promotion program, then we can really uh, include people uh, in every community to uh, to, uh, to have jobs. And jobs are there, and jobs are right there in their uh, their locality. And government also has to practice buying from these people. 
uh, the government should be a direct uh, buyer of uh, the produce of uh, these people. Like if they produce cleaning materials, then they should buy from these people. And uh, uh, there is a law that at least 10% of local uh, procurement uh, of, of uh, local pro supplies for procurement should be secured from a uh, people's organization. And if that's the case, why not? But why only 10%? It should not be limited to 10% because you know a lot of government uh, uh, supplies can be can be secured from the people from people's organization, and that would provide them with. Uh, with employment, especially for persons with disabilities, like t-shirt printing, uh, catering, everything that the government uh, uh, requires can be provided by the by people's organization, and that would increase jobs, and that would make uh, these people at least at par with other businesses because the government is supporting them by buying from them. So I think we should practice that, and uh, that's why we really have to participate uh, uh, our local organization so that they can uh, really participate and assert their, uh, their right to be a part of governance and be a part also of the economy. And that would reduce uh, the gap between uh, those uh, with less but have more skills and those who can work and those who can do partial work and those who can do something uh, to contribute to the economy. Paramita, there are still a lot of uh, strategies that we can do. All right. So, Ms. Zubiaga, um, we're nearing the end of the episode now. And I do have just a few more questions for you. Uh, so, yeah, if you're ready, just, just let me know. So, I think you're ready for the last few okay. questions. So, I guess um, yeah. my first... Have, actually, I, I only have two questions for you left. So, the first question okay. I have is like a two-parter. So, right now, I want to ask you now. Is from the current presidential candidates and the current vice presidential candidates, because of course there are people out there who will vote for you and who would listen to you, right? If you endorse anyone, so I want to ask you: Are there, is there a particular presidential and VP candidate who you would like to endorse and tell your supporters, please vote for these people? Yes, you know I, I support. I support VP uh, Lenny Robredo and Kiko Francis Pagilinan for uh, president and vice president. Because, you know, it is, uh, it is uh, you always have to have a stand. And even as an independent candidate, I have my preference uh, and I declared my uh, support to people whom I believe embodies my uh, principles. And uh, I and uh, uh, my principles and belief about governance, and I guess uh, Peter Robredo ha uh, has been uh, 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 she's she's uh, she has a lot of accomplishment, and uh, I trust that they can do better. They can do uh, 
uh, they can uh, they are worth uh, the expectation of people but my, I already made it clear to my uh, supporters that whoever is my uh, personal choice, it will not affect uh, my respect for those uh, uh, from other, uh, those who prefer other candidates. No? Because I believe that uh, my uh, my advocacy for uh, people with disability sector is for all, regardless of who your president is. All right, understood. And my last question to you, Ms. Ubiaga, is why should people vote for you for senator? Because, of course, there are 12 slots, and that's a lot of slots to vote for, right? But um, there are only 12 slots, and last time I checked, there's more than, like, 40 candidates for senator. There's at least 60 because you're number 63 on the ballot, right? So um, why should people give one of their slots to you for Senator? Because I help if we look at uh, one person with disability, we are looking for a change or we uplift the whole family. And... Uh, I am the only one who offered this kind of uh, this kind of platform that is not only for persons with disabilities but for their family and for the whole community because inclusion is everyone's responsibility and I trust that uh, if I am uh, advocating for persons with disability. I also advocate for the LGBT, UIA, and the youth because I believe that it's the youth who really understand very much my advocacy because they were the ones who are clamoring for inclusion. And uh, I trust that uh, it will not disappoint our youth because our youth now are very... Uh, they have they have lived with persons with disabilities in their school and they know how it is to be excluded so let us not disappoint our youth or change because inclusion is now the clamor of everyone so let us not leave anyone behind and carmen Subiaga is the only advocate that can do more uh, for more inclusive programs for all. All right. Well, Ms. Zubiaga, thank you again so much for being here. We greatly, I greatly appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule. You know, you, you've been, um, you know, you've been campaigning and all these things. So thank you so much for taking the time. And before we let you go, um, you know, where could people contact you, you know, if they have more questions about your platform, your beliefs, and all these things. So, yeah, please go ahead. Yeah, you can uh, visit my website, carmenzubiaga.com, uh, and you can look also at my Twitter account, at carmenzubiaga, and you can directly message me. And, uh, of course, you can also look at my site. It's uh, Google. Google site, uh, 
uh, Harlan Subiaga. So uh, my site is right there at the profile of my uh, Twitter account, at Carmen Subiaga, my Twitter account. Great. Well, Ms. Uh, um, yeah, sorry. Aside from Twitter and your website, you have like a Facebook page and IG. Yeah, yeah. I have my Facebook page and IG. My Facebook page is uh, Carmen Subiaga, uh, Phoenix, Carmen Senado. And my Instagram account is 63 Carmen Subiaga, at 63 Carmen Subiaga, Instagram. Great. Well, Ms. Ubiaga, thank you again so much for being here. Uh, it's been a great uh, episode with you, so thank you so much. I do wish you all the luck in the world for this uh, upcoming election. So, Ms. Ubiaga, thank you again so much to our viewers. Uh, thank you as well. Stay safe and see you guys next time. Iklap will be back. Thank you, everyone. Okay. Thank you.